Entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know. It's the TC Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know that idea. <laughs> Diagnosis. I had an idea, and then uh... prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why it's funny? It wasn't. It wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me? Yeah, I don't know that idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, TC Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh. The doctor is now in. Hour number two, oh uh, yeah, first hour, T.J. Reeves joins us from Tampa Bay, Lincoln Kennedy talking Raiders, all of those interviews and the show, of course, will be up on the website a little bit later on, tcmartinshow.com, check it all out, check out our article up there about the Raiders, too, from last Sunday's loss to the Colts, as far as that, and of course, you've got the featured interview page, the classic interview, current interviews, all there for you at your disposal on the website, tcmartinshow.com. Tomorrow, don't forget, Trevor Maddich will be joining us on our Wednesday edition, Friday, back at the Westgate, inside the world-famous Superbook. So come on out, see the show live, be part of our Best Bets segment. All right, we continue on here. This hour, got some terrible Tuesday takes, of course, like we do, because it is our favorite day of the week where we can rant and rave. But uh, why wait till next segment when we can rant and rave more about the Raiders, except there's not much raving. It's more ranting. Sam Gordon joins us now, the fine columnist for the Las Vegas <laughs> Review-Journal and one of my all-time favorites. What's going on, Sam? Man, TC, happy Tuesday. Appreciate uh, appreciate the kind words. How you doing today? Hey, it's all good, man. All good. And, uh, you know, we got to start giving Sam Gordon some props, too, for, for his attire. Now, Sam has been showing out. Now, I don't know just because you got the tag columnist now, but, uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you're at the fights. So now, now you're showing out a Raider games. I mean, Aces games. I mean, come on, man. What did you do? I mean, did you get to the wardrobe endorsement from some company? What's going on? Do I need to know about this? <laughs> no, nah, I wish, you know, hopefully soon. So, you see, I would love to. I would love to. Um, but, no, nah, that was um, courtesy of my man, Brian Salmon. He recommended me to a new, uh, new tailor over there off of Decatur in Charleston. Uh, picked up a couple suits. You know, I thought the I thought the wardrobe needed a little bit of expansion now, um, so I, I picked up a couple suits and was fortunate enough to wear <laughs> to wear. I think the one you're referencing on Sunday to the Raider game. So you know, I always want to uh, represent myself in the in the Review Journal. You know, as best I can. Certainly with with uh, you know, depending on the uh, the circumstance and the event. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Shout out to B Sal for uh, for helping me out. There it is, B Sal. Now, now, when we have him on, you know, probably later this week, I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna hit him with that. There you go. There he is. That's, yeah, uh, let him know. Yeah, that's that's good. Now, now, see, here's the thing, though, Sam. I mean, like me, okay? You know, radio guys. Uh, you know, uh, you know, newspaper guys. I mean, we you don't need to dress up. You're not on camera now. B Sal, he's forced to be on camera. See, so you're making me feel bad that now I need to get dressed up and show out these these things. You know. Again, I'm not, you know, you, you, you're you're taking notes here, Sam, just like I am. I mean, what are you, what are you doing here? We, we're not on camera. TC, I think I think you look fantastic just the way it is, regardless of how you dress you and how you cover these games. So mm-hmm. I think you're doing great. There, there you go, man. See, I got I, I got my sporty athletic look, that clean athletic look. There, there it is. Sam, the checks in the mail. Uh, I got you. <laughs> 
<laughs> too funny. Too funny. All right, Sam, let's talk some Raiders here, man. Uh, another close yet embarrassing loss for the Raiders. Dropping to two and seven, oh and six and one score games, one and three after the bye week. Uh, and here's the thing that gets me. You know, these losses to these sub 500 teams, the Saints, the Jaguars, and then again, the Colts on Sunday. Uh, you, you, you've got two victories, one against the Texans, who have a worse record, the only team that has a worse record than the Raiders, and of course the Broncos, who the Raiders will get another shot at uh, this week. But uh, Sam, the synopsis here is this team is just really a, a mess in all phases. Um, before we, we get into the whole season thing, give me your takes since we're talking about you know the game on Sunday where we saw each other. Uh, what was your thoughts on, on Sunday's performance? Well, TC, um, it was a game I thought, the, I mean, just considering the circumstance, right, um, the Raiders should have won that game. I mean, they're at home. <laughs> they're uh, playing against a team with a, a new head coach, a head coach that had never coached um, beyond the uh, the high school level before, not as, not as a head coach. And um, it was, quite frankly, I thought a game that Josh McDaniels, um, as a coach, needed to win and the Raiders needed to win um, from just for the, from a morale standpoint, considering how uh, what happened the previous two weeks against New Orleans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Lo and behold, Jeff Saturday's team is the more prepared team, the more the more poised team, and the more executed team, or the the, the better executing team throughout the course of the four quarters. And and again, um, I thought even though I thought the, the Raiders should have won that game at home, I thought I mean they were they, you know the the, the 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 point spread reflected that they that they were the betting favorite. Um, they should have taken care of business. I wasn't at all at all surprised based on kind of the tenor of of, of the Raiders season. I, I think the only thing. Um, that you can, can really take away from it at, at this point now, with with how um, they let the lead slip away, and just with the way that they you know played throughout the course of the four quarters, is um, as I wrote after the Jacksonville Jaguars game, this season is over, and I think the dialogue what you're hearing out of Raiders headquarters now, kind of the tenor of, of Josh McDaniels reflects that the, the Raiders are. I mean, it's no secret they're not making the playoffs this year, but everything they do um, from this point forward would seem to be forward thinking. Right now, that's not doesn't mean you're going to go out there and necessarily try and lose games. And players certainly aren't ever going to tank. Um, they're, they're very proud. They want to win, and, and, and nor should they. Uh, but from an organizational standpoint, uh, when you lose to a team with a head coach that had never coached before, and, and even beyond that, right, forget the coaching aspect, the, the Colts just weren't good. I mean, regardless of their situation, even with Frank Reich, I mean, there's a reason that Jeff Saturday was on the sideline. This was a Colts team that was badly underachieving. That was one of the worst offensive teams uh, in the NFL, and they came, they came and moved the ball, and had no problem going up and down the field against the Raiders. So you can uh, you can forget about this season. That's been the case now for a couple of weeks, and and, and now it's about moving forward uh, and seeing what you can do to build for next year. We have, the, of course, Mark Davis telling our you know our, our columnist at, at the Review Journal, Ed Graney, that um, John, you know gave Jake gave gave uh, Josh McDaniels a resounding uh, endorsement. So um, also saw a report from the Athletic that he'll be back in 2023. So any drastic changes that Raiders fans want, they're not going to be happening. Uh, and and the, uh, the the loss of the Colts just reflects the the, the, you know, the chaotic state of, state of affairs that that this franchise continues to seem to go through. And you know, knowing Mark Davis, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And you know, fans. They're irrational for the most part. I mean, you know, because they want they want someone's head. I mean, in the middle of the season. To be fair to Josh McDaniels, now I, you know, I'll say this, Sam, and I'll get your opinion here in a minute. But we don't know if Josh McDaniels can coach. I mean, I said that from the very beginning. If we look at his resume as a head coach, it it was not good at all. You know, in Denver, and he hasn't started out good here as well. My question is, you know, can he be a leader of men? How can he command a locker room? And these are questions that are now really glaring under the spotlight. 
But with all that being said, you can, I guess, use the the card in your back pocket and say, well, he doesn't have his his own guys. You know, him and Dave Ziegler, they need time to, you know, to to build a, a team. And I get that. So I understand where Mark's going with this because Mark is already coming off the huge embarrassment with John Gruden. All right. And everything else that happened last year from the Henry Ruggs thing to everything else. So he's not going to make a change abruptly. He's hoping that McDaniels can turn out to be what he thinks he could be, but he just wants to squash this kind of talk now and give the guy the vote of confidence, which I can purely see. I I, I get that because, you know, but are we going to see anything different? Only time will tell, but you know, right now for what he's running and the personnel that the Raiders have, you know, like most teams for a first-year head coach, is probably it, it's probably not a great mix. But the question is, what is going to change? And you would think that you know, if you're looking for a sign that okay, I've got the right guy, that you would at least see him to be able to maybe handle the locker room better. I mean, heck, Jeff Saturday comes in here and, and maybe more of a mess than what the Raiders' situation is, but he comes in and says, hey, I'm a great leader of men. I have this confidence. He has a relationship with players, and those guys played hard for him. I mean, if we go back to the last two games for the Colts, they were downright dreadful, and you just saw the Colts team that we expected to see in September on Sunday, and I really believe that is 100% a factor on Jeff Saturday gathering these guys together when he took the job and having them for those three, four days and saying, listen, we're going to go out there and we're going to compete. We've got the tools to do this. I think that's what fans would like to see Josh McDaniels do. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you, CC. I think, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of traits um, that head coaches need to have, right, at the NFL level, uh, a lot of them. And, and I, you know, touched on this in a piece um, that I wrote for Sunday's Review Journal, just kind of on what goes into the transition from, from coordinator to coach and kind of the number one takeaway that I had just in talking to former coaches um, and the former executive, Tony Dungy, Brad Childers, and Phil Pullian, who I really appreciate for their time and just yeah. kind of giving me some additional perspective beyond what I was able to glean um, at the Raiders facility is that it's it's about organization and it's about leadership above all, above all else. Those are the most important factors. And then, of course, an expertise on one side of the ball or the other is, is huge as well um, and, and super important. But the biggest thing is, is that leadership piece and that organization piece and that structure piece. You know what I'm saying, TC? And, and so far, like like you said, we just haven't seen that um, as a head coach from Josh McDaniels, seven and twenty-four uh, in his last thirty-one games as a head coach. They've blown three, you know, seventeen-point leads this year. They were shot out against New Orleans. So, what, what, and then you see the reaction, kind of some of the dialogue and the discourse from the players publicly, and some of the comments about not having the buy-in and whatnot, and, and not everybody's bought in. That I think all that falls onto the head coach. But, but um, we'll see what happens. Like you said, in terms of the voter confidence, I don't think at this point of the season, right midway through his first year making a drastic change wasn't going to do it. Like that's not going to fix anything anyways. There's no quick fix here. This is the situation that they're in. And uh, of course, Mark Davis isn't going to want to pay three head coaches at the same time, considering what he's dealing with, with John Gruden as well. So it, it, it's, it's, it's certainly been underwhelming and, and they haven't had the, the success um, of, you know, six, one score games. They've lost all six of them. And situationally, they just haven't been good. Disorganized, um, untimely penalties, and just not able to execute uh, in big stretches. So 
again, we'll see uh, if the coaching staff and the new regime can get things turned around uh, at Henderson so far. Based on what we know, all we can go by is what we've seen so far and some of the moves and the transactions uh, that they've made. There's nothing to suggest imminently uh, that that's going to happen. But, again, like like you said, Mark Davis uh, issuing the, the vote of confidence believes that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels are the tandem to get this thing going and turn around. Uh, but we'll have to see if that takes place because it hasn't happened at all um, this year. In fact, if anything, the wheels are coming off in real time, and, and this is a two and seven football team that did not have designs of being two and seven. That was expected both internally and externally uh, to compete for the playoffs, and again had a good enough roster to build a seventeen nothing lead at Arrowhead Stadium and, and to, to to build big leads over multiple teams. So if if the, if if there was a little bit more poise, a little bit more execution, a little bit better execution of big spots. Um, the situation would wouldn't be what it is, but alas, here we are, and then the Raiders are two and seven, looking at next year, looking at moving forward. Sam, I'm going to use this parallel. Speaking of Mark Davis, and you can totally relate to this, like I can. Okay, so you look at the Aces, and sure, they were coming off a playoff season, just like the Raiders were last year. They made a head coaching change. And they had talent coming back. Raiders had talent coming back, and they've added, the Raiders added to that with Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, and and others. Becky Hammond comes in. You have a new voice compared to Bill Lambeer, and you saw how the players reacted, and you saw what Becky Hammond did. Same thing with Josh McDaniels. He comes in, and you know it's a totally different approach. Becky just connected with these players. Uh, has the utmost experience, uh, you know, it, even though she hadn't coached in the WNBA before, but there was just something there that was this connectivity, this fire. And then you go to the Raiders and Josh McDaniel, same situation, kind of you know, a new guy coming in, has a chance to win this team over, and it looks like to me that he hasn't. So it can be done. And we just mentioned Jeff Saturday. Now, very, very, very small sample size here, okay? But – doesn't Jeff Saturday is more reminiscent maybe of Becky Hammond and just the connectivity here. So I think, you know, we can look at that, especially you and I could look at these two dynamics and say, wait a minute, you know, if, if Becky can do it, Josh McDaniels can, can, can do this and have a much better rapport than what we've seen thus far and not having a crumbling locker room. Or, or maybe he can't, do you see? Like, that's, right, right. I mean, there you go. Like, maybe you he go. can't. Like, right. we, we, at this juncture, here's one, one thing we do know. There was buy-in for Rich Passaccia, right? There was buy-in there. That team had a camaraderie to it, yes. and there was a unity to it. And there was, um, you know, and I think part of that has to do with what they went through, everything that kind of happened off the field last year with, with, with John Gruden and Henry Ruggs. And whatnot that that it was um, the, the the that group developed a bond having to endure so much devastation um, together. And there was a buy-in for Rich Bisaccia. That's that, so so the fact that we haven't seen that um, from ten through through ten weeks, and that you're seeing these comments, these public comments that Derek Carr, that Devontae Adams um, have been making uh, without necessarily naming names, but just referencing the lack of buy-in. Again, I think that falls um, on coaching to a certain point, right? That 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 Josh McDaniels has not been able to kind of. Uh, put his imprint, uh, you know, the, the the imprint that he wanted to um, on this team, and then again, and again, in terms of this season, as far as that's concerned, uh, it's not happening. So until he shows that, until there is a turnaround, right? I, I, why am I to think otherwise that it's going to happen? We, we have to remember what happened in Denver, the lack of success that he had there, um, and that was after a six and zero start. And that you know, you're seeing, I think, some of those factors come into play uh, again here. So again, we'll we'll see what happens the rest of the season, and, and kind of going into the off season. 
uh, moving forward uh, in terms of what changes are made in, in personnel. I think one thing that um, is starting to maybe potentially crystallize, again, nothing nothing that is set in stone until, of course, it happens, but the Raiders can part ways with Derek Carr, right, TC, right, right after the season um, and get out of a lot of the guaranteed money on his contract. So my guess would be that something is going to happen um, there, the, the the new regime is going to get the opportunity to to kind of select a quarterback they want to build around and, and try and go from there. But if the particulars, if the leadership and the structure and the way that the team is run uh, isn't, it doesn't change. I don't think. I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter who the personnel was. This is a ten and seven football team that, in theory, upgraded right at that spent money that was aggressive in the off season, reflecting um, a, a desire to go further than the first round of the playoffs. Um, which is where they went last year, and, and so far it's been pretty much worst-case scenario all the way around. So I think, I mean, Josh McDaniels has everything to prove. I, so far the track record suggests um, that he's in over his head. It's, o- it's only him and his staff by winning games and rebuilding this roster uh, can prove otherwise because that's where we're at with the 2-7 and seven record at this point in the season. Sam Gordon joins us, Las Vegas Review-Journal, talking about the Raiders. Sam, you were at the press conference where we talked about uh, the emotional Derek Carr, what he had to say. Then you had the stoic, vanilla Josh McDaniels comments. I, I imagine you probably went in the locker room afterwards and you could see that that locker room pretty much was like a morgue. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. it was silent. Give me, give me your take on that. And, you know, we've both been around a lot of our locker rooms, joyous ones, uh, distraught ones, uh, kind of paint the picture for our listeners, what you took on that and maybe compare it to, to something else that you've been in, involved with in your career covering. And, uh, and also talk about what the effect of Derek Carr's comments could have going forward with his teammates in this locker room. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just, you know, even losing locker rooms, right, it, 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 you can be in a, a losing locker room where the morale isn't, isn't completely gone, right, where where it's not a morgue, where it's not lifeless in there. This was a little different. I think this was rock bottom for the Raiders. And, and, and you, you have to, you know, applying the context that they got shut out by the New Orleans Saints and not a very good New Orleans Saints team as we've continued to see. Uh, they blew a 17-point lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars and then losing again to, to a, a, a first-time head coach uh, at home at Allegiant Stadium and kind of what was your last gasp effort. Not that they were going to rattle off a bunch of victories anyways and, and, and return to the playoffs, but from a mathematical perspective, uh, an opportunity to at least kind of convince yourself that, hey, maybe you can stay afloat. And for that to just not happen and not to happen the way it did, uh, I mean, the locker room, I mean, players got out of there as quickly as possible, and I, I get it, right? They wanted to – they didn't want to be around and, and have to, um, you know, kind of sit in that in that environment and that energy uh, anymore. And, and the comments that we did hear from players, I mean, guys are frustrated. Guys are fed up, and understandably so. This is this was not the expectation um, starting the season. So it was a very, very quiet, relatively empty um, locker room compared to, again, even some of the losing locker rooms um, that you and I have been in in the past. This is a team that I think that locker room, I, I guess the, the word our columnist Ed Graney used on in his column Monday was splintered. And I would say that's an accurate assessment when you have multiple leaders on the team sub- subliminally referencing guys not being bought in. I think, I mean, I, well, the, the comments could be fraying. They could be disruptive. They could be damaging. But at that point, I'm not sure it really matters because the season is what it is. They're already two and seven. You're already seeing some of that, I guess, fracture and some of the, the strife that this team um, it is enduring, and now it, it, it feels like uh, you know just kind of a race to get to the end of the year. So again, I, I do think um, the, the players they want to win. They, 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 this is as disappointing for them as anybody else, the fans, the coaching staff, anybody included. This isn't the kind of showing or representing that they wanted to have. 
Um, but but definitely um, just an underwhelming, just a sense of underwhelming of of, of, of underwhelming frustra- you know frustration and disappointment um, that this team has really quite frankly gone gone dealt with all throughout the course of the season since the season started. So where do you go from here? I mean, we'll see what the response is on on Sunday. Um, in Denver, because the, the Broncos, they're they're in a similar situation where they're, they've totally underwhelmed, uh, haven't met expectations, and aren't in the mix as well. So it's two teams that have kind of experienced parallels with the way their season has gone, and it's it's fitting that they, they play Sunday because somebody's going to have to win that game. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, change gears here real quick, Sam, and let's talk a little boxing. Of course, uh, you cover the squared circle for the Las Vegas Review Journal, and and you and I love talking boxing. And Saturday night, you had a fight at the Palms, uh, a top ranked card. Uh, main event was was pretty one sided, and you know, a uh, middleweight uh, bout. But I want to yep. talk to you about the undercard. The undercard was, yep. po- you know, we could be possibly seeing the next local sensation here, and that is uh, Emiliano Fernando Vargas. Now, we know Fernando Vargas, uh, the former boxer. You uh, fought Oscar De La Hoya and had some battles and, you know, former champ. And uh, Fernando Vargas has lived here in Vegas for, for quite some time now, and he has is training his sons. He's got a couple. Yep. And uh, Emiliano Fernando Vargas fought... Uh, I believe his second pro fight was on Saturday night at at the Palms, and he had a second round knockout. Uh, looked very very impressive. You did, I thought, a great column that talked about him, talked about Fernando, talked about the relationship and everything. And give me your thoughts first of all on the younger Vargas, and, and, and talk a little bit, you know, about uh, you know your column in which you uh, you know what you found out, you know, talking to these guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, first and foremost, right, like you mentioned, I think a spectacular knockout. Uh, and, and look, he's he's a prospect. He's just getting started. He's 18 years old. Um, so so right now he's at the stage where you're developing him. You're getting, it's about getting him experience, putting him in situations where he's going to be able to grow and develop as a fighter. And, and to have a, a hometown debut on ESPN – uh, for a second pro fight, I don't think it could have gone any better from 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 top ranks perspective, uh, and from his perspective with with how you want to kind of start your career uh, on that stage. So um, he he's the youngest again, youngest of three brothers, right? Um, his dad, like like we said, like like you touched on, TC was a champion at 154 pounds, youngest um, you know super welterweight champion ever, I believe, at 21 when he won um, the belt for the first time, and, and just a colorful personality and character, um, that, that has been involved with in boxing and, and around for a long time. And you see, you know, his son's personality, Emiliano Fernando Vargas, you see his personality, the charisma, some of the same swagger that his father had, uh, but he's his own man as well. And it, it is, it's very cognizant about starting his own legacy out of the three, um, sons he's regarded as the, you know, the blue chip prospect has a storied amateur career, 110 and 10, um, record, I believe several national championships, and there was just a kind of a confidence about him that he expects superstardom. Um, he knows what it looks like and what it takes uh, to get to that level of be- being uh, the son of a former world champion who has fought the ap- at the absolute apex uh, of the sport. Some of the biggest names and, and some of the biggest venues been on pay-per-view cards that have sold over a million, uh, done over a million buys. So, you know, he's very careful and, and he wants to be very careful and, and cognizant of how he's developing his son and kind of drawing on what he learned through his career and, make, and making sure that Emilio Fernando Vargas has the best opportunity uh, to reach his goals, which is, as he shared with me, being a champion, of course, in multiple weight classes, uh, being an undisputed champion and, and being at the, at the pinnacle of the sport. So there was a, a certain maturity that he had, just a certain poise that I felt like he had when I, when I got to spend some time with him and his dad. Uh, in the gym and saw the way that they worked. And, you know, he wants to be a superstar. And, again, he has the personality. He has the charisma. 
Uh, he has the raw talent in terms of his boxing ability. He's a switch hitter, so he can he can fight out of the orthodox or the south the southpaw stance. Uh, he's got power in both hands, and it's just about kind of refining some of the fundamentals um, that'll determine his ceiling and how far he goes. But again, it was a splendid, uh, an absolutely splendid debut and a, a heck of a start for uh, for Emiliano, Emiliano Fernando Vargas, who again, for some of our local listeners, um, was at Legacy High School for a couple of years and probably represents. Uh, Vegas, and based on the reaction we saw in the crowd, he already has a little bit of a hometown following. It was a huge pop for him uh, after the knockout, and the crowd really enjoyed him taking kind of the victory lap uh, around the ring on top of his father's shoulders. So, uh, you know, uh, a top prospect, a blue chip prospect, and 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 it's it's up to him how far um, he he takes things because the potential, the talent, and the charisma are, are all there. It's about developing at the right trajectory, and it, he has the team around him to do so. Another uh, top rank uh, prospect who's been on the show several times, Nico Ali Walsh. Another guy went to Bishop Gorman. Here's another young fighter. Maybe, you know, not with the, he's got the name, but he didn't have the storied amateur background like, say, uh, Emiliano Fernando Vargas has. But here are two young up and comers the top rank has, has signed and they're going to be showcasing, especially a lot here in Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. And, and top rank has really kind of gone the way of, of, um, investing in and developing their younger prospects, right? So you see, I mean, we, we see some of their younger prospects. They have several former Olympians. And in their next card on, I believe it is December 9th, uh, the Teofimo Lopez is headlining it at the Hulo Theater at Madison Square Garden. Or maybe it's in Madison Square Garden. Either way, in New yes, York City. Right. Yep. Um, you got, you got, yep, you got, you know, Jared Big Baby Anderson. You're one of the top, probably the top American heavyweight prospect. You have Keyshawn Davis. Uh, a, prem, uh, a premier prospect at 135 pounds, former Olympic silver medalist uh, at the Games a couple of years ago, uh, and then Xander Zayas as well, uh, the 154-pounder uh, from Puerto Rico who, who has who has a, a unique skill set and charisma as well. So top rank, um, I think they you know they tend to do a good job with their younger fighters and are able to they have a plan and blueprint for how they want to develop them. Um, and Emiliano Fernando Vargas you know fits that bill, and then Nico. Ali Walsh, too. I, I know you mentioned TC, like you said, right? Not quite the, the storied amateur pedigree. So it's a little bit different of a, of a developmental platform or developmental trajectory for him as well. Um, but with, with kind of the, the story that he has um, and just the, the, the spirit and the charisma that he has as well, uh, it makes sense why Top Rank is invested in him. And he, so far, we've seen improvement from Nico Ali Walsh throughout the course of his, you know, first seven or eight fights. So, um, they, they do a good job with young fighters, and that it could, seems to be the blueprint that they're working with moving forward. All right, final thing here, Sam, uh, on that card as well, too, on the women's side, uh, Sinisa Superbad Estrada uh, made her return to the ring. She was off for nearly a year, and uh, mm-hmm. she is something special. A WBA minimum weight. A lot of people don't know what the minimum weight is, uh, Sam, but it's, it's probably around the strawweight division, even less than that, I guess, but a very one-sided decision where uh, she beat uh, her opponent from Argentina with Jasmine Gala uh, Villarino. Uh, all three judges scored a shutout. But uh, just talk a little bit about her when you're talking about, you know, on the women's side of of these fighters. Uh, for our listeners that have not got a chance to see her yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just she's very exciting fighter. Um, very, very aggressive style comes forward, applies pressure. And this fight for her, right, it was just about, like you said, DC, knocking off some of that ring rust. She's a world-class fighter, one of the top pound-for-pound women um, in the world, a two-weight, a two-weight world champion from East Los Angeles, uh, and just was kind of stuck stuck in the mud with, with a situation with Golden Boy where there was a contract dispute, and, and she wasn't getting what she wanted, not getting the fights she wanted, the, the money she wanted, and top rank um, went and signed her. And, 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 it, and, it, what's, it's one, and what's been a banner year 
for women's boxing with Serrano Taylor, with uh, Bumgarner Mayer, um, with, with Clarissa Shields and, and Savannah Marshall and just all the great champions that have fought this year. Uh, I think it was huge for her to get active again. And now with top ranks, so she's going to be fighting on ESPN um, with, with whom they have a, uh, a broadcast contract. And is this one of the most exciting fighters um, on the women's side? So it's, it's huge that she's back in action and the momentum around women's boxing um, has continued to build. One thing that women's boxing did this year that the men's side didn't necessarily do is it delivered the biggest possible fights. You had fights for undisputed. You had a fight. Uh, a, a women's fight headlining and selling out Madison Square Garden with Katie Taylor and, and Amanda Serrano. And Sinisa Estrada has that, that superstar kind of potential uh, and, and very exciting as well. So uh, I expect it's not going to be long before she's back in the championship scene looking to unify and vibe for Undisputed. She wants to be an Undisputed champion in three weight classes, and um, that's that, she certainly has the talent and, and ability to do so. So uh, she put on a show, again, like you said, one-sided, but I think fans got uh, – Fans who are new um, to her got to see what her style is like. She's all action all the time uh, and definitely one of the top female fighters in the world. So great for her um, to get back in action and huge for the the sport in general um, that she's back. You got it. All right. And hopefully we'll see more of her and and more fights uh, coming your way back to Vegas here, especially with top rank. Sam, appreciate the time as always. Great stuff. Continue to uh, check out Sam at the Las Vegas Review Journal, whether it's old school, uh, get in the paper, go online. And of course, he's a great follow on Twitter too, at by Sam Gordon. Sam, appreciate you, brother. There he is. All right. Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal, one of our regulars here. All right. We come back. Talk a little terrible Tuesday.